1: you're listening to killer queens a true crime podcast some material may be disturbing and we use adult language listener discretion is advised if you love the show be sure to hit subscribe so that you never miss new episodes and if you want to support the show please visit www.patreon.com slash killer queens pod where as little as three dollars a month gets you early access to shows and amazing additional content now on to today's case Right, welcome back. Part two of this one, Darlie okay. Routier. Of Darlie, yeah. So, of course, if you have not listened to part one, you're lost, girl. You need to go back and listen to part one. Go back. If you have, you're right on schedule and welcome. Welcome. Why are we so awkward? I don't know. Okay, one well, of the worst. Okay, yeah. so getting into the trial, the state opened their case kind of painting Darley as this, like, selfish, materialistic person. Um, they talked about the family's financial difficulties. They said that Darley was pampered. They were in substantial debt. She didn't want to see her lavish lifestyle end, so she stabbed her sons to basically offset that, I guess, and, like, that they were in the way of... The lifestyle she wanted to leave and i wonder if they had any or what kind of life insurance they had on the boys well i'm glad you asked oh thanks the policies on the boys were five thousand dollars each hmm that doesn't seem significant enough to kill some i mean i've heard of people killing people for ten dollars you know like right i don't know but you would think if i would that think was that barely reason, covers funeral costs absolutely yeah so, Unless you put two boys in one casket. Hmm. I guess you do save some money there. Didn't think about that. I'm not trying to be like, you know, morbid, but, you know, just, just weighing all the facts here. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think caskets are pretty expensive. Um, they said that Darren owed more than $10,000 in back taxes and then he had another 12000 in credit card debt. But when you ask Darren about it, Or like when they did in the documentary. When have you asked Darren about that? Yeah, when I asked him, he's just like, yeah, you know, we had some debt. Well, anything major. Like, it's just regular stuff. Well, but for them, though, and their lifestyle and their cost of living or their standards of living, maybe $24,000 is not that much, you know? (laughs) Like, Right, yeah. If you pair that, though, with – but again, Darren kind of denies this – they said the business was failing. They'd had, you know, Darren and Darlie both would say, well, yeah, we had a few slow months, but, like, that's not out of the normal and whatever, so. But maybe they did, though. I yeah. mean, like, there are times when my business is slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not going to say, well, let's pack the shit up, you know? Like, Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's those two aspects to it. The prosecution also presented a diary entry from about a month before the murders. And Darley had written in the, in the diary, Devin, Damon, and Drake, I hope that one day you will forgive me for what I'm about to do. My life has been such a hard fight for a long time, and I just cannot find the strength to keep fighting anymore. I love you three more than anything else in the world. Please do not hate me or think in any way this is your fault. So I can hear her little tiny voice saying it. mm -hmm. So they're like, they're pointing out that she was suicidal. Could that have turned homicidal? Um, Obviously, you know, they're saying, well, if, if she and Darren are saying they had such a happy marriage, then why is she wanting to kill herself a month before the murders? But she didn't say any of that. And it could have just been her maybe wanting to leave or wanting to... You know, I don't know. Postpartum depression is a fucking real thing. And baby Drake was, what, seven months old at the time? Seven months old, yeah. I don't even know how old he was when she wrote that in her thing. Well, that would have been six months old, right? Okay, yeah. So it's like, I mean, getting back to yourself, and I don't know from experience, but it could take years. Yeah, yeah. And if she was suicidal, this doesn't make any sense. I can understand if you're suicidal, but then you're like like how Susan Smith painted herself where she was like, well, I was suicidal because my dad, whatever, and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And then I just decided that I didn't want my boys to have to go through it, whatever. But she still left one boy alive. That doesn't make any sense. If you wanted, if she wanted to kill her children, she didn't, she didn't do the co- complete job. Mm-mm. It just doesn't add up to me. I just yeah. don't get it. Yeah, it's very, very strange. It doesn't. I don't think I don't think this points to anything. I don't think this does what the prosecution thinks it's doing. Well, it did enough. Well, yeah. They also said that she didn't follow the paramedics to the ambulance or ask where they were taking Damon. And the responding officer David Waddell said that he told Darley to apply pressure to Damon's wounds, but she didn't. And he said I thought if she was worried about fingerprints on a knife, she could certainly take care of her kids. When you say if she was worried about the fingerprints on the knife, you're saying that she mentioned she had moved the knife in the 911 call. Yeah. 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 If she had the presence of mind to mention the knife in the 911 call, then she had enough presence of mind in that moment to go and take care of her kids. I don't necessarily know if that, if I believe that, but okay. Yeah. And during closing arguments, the prosecutor said the last thing these boys saw was their mother killing them. And Darley blurted out, liar. And the prosecution said that that showed that he was getting to her. And I'm like, well, no shit. Either way, like, if she did it, okay, you're getting to her. And if she didn't do it, you're still fucking getting to her. I mean, could you imagine, like, hearing that and, like, sitting there when you know that you didn't kill your children, but to listen... To then paint you in that light and exactly. convince a jury of it, like yeah, of like I would not be able to be no, silent. No, absolutely not. Okay, so now let's get into actual evidence, pieces of evidence. I love how you say actual because it's like exactly. Yeah. There's, <laughs> yeah. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through the pieces of evidence from the state's perspective. Oh, is that what we're gonna do? That's exactly what we're gonna do. And then after we're done with all of the pieces of evidence from the state's perspective, then we're going to go back through them from the defense's perspective. This just sounds lengthy. I just don't know. We're doing it. Okay. We're doing it. First is the murder weapon. The knife was from their kitchen. Okay. So that's always a point towards an inside job, right? Because it's not a fucking axe, though. (laughs) It's not an axe. But how likely is it that this random intruder is going to pick up a knife from inside the house? Why would they not have brought one with them? Okay. I can see that. Right. The window screen. So the way that the intruder would have made entry would have been through the garage. There was like a window sill or like a window. So they would have kind of come through the back patio kind of area and the the screen was slit somebody had cut the screen so initially it was reported that the screen was cut from the inside of the house obviously that looks really bad later though they tested it and it was found to have been cut from the outside but it was cut in like a t formation okay then they said that there was a bread knife from the knife block in the kitchen. And they said that when they dusted that, they found a single fiberglass rod on it. And that the fiberglass on the knife was consistent with the fiberglass from that window screen. And that they found no other source of fiberglass in the house. So what they're saying is, somebody cut this screen with a bread knife, which does not make any sense, because okay. a bread knife would be serrated, I guess, barely, right? I think they're pretty serrated. Like it's, especially if it's like, a, you know, what I would consider like a French bread knife, like, oh, I guess I'm thinking of a butter knife. Yeah, I'm thinking of, like, a French bread knife.
0: Because you would need
1: the serrated Yeah, bread knife would be serrated. Okay, that makes more sense. I was thinking of the wrong knife. the screen be more gashy, you know, like, not a clean cut? Yeah, you would think. You would think. Yeah, so, and they're saying that this, you know, this piece of fiberglass could have only come from there. So they're saying somebody's going to take this knife, go cut it, and then come back and put it inside the knife block. So if that's true, that doesn't look good.
0: 100%, yeah.
1: They also found a long bleach blonde hair in that window screen. Oh, man. That doesn't look good. Mm -mm. Although they said that you wouldn't even need to cut the screen because those kind of screens, you would just move it out of place. Yeah, so they were like, there's no even need to cut it. So that was another thing that they said was leaning towards staging it. Because an intruder didn't actually come in through that. They cut it just to make it look like an intruder, but you wouldn't even need to cut it. But then they also said that it was staged even more because the mulch underneath that window wasn't disturbed at all. And if an intruder was coming in or out of that window, that the mulch is going to get messed up right because if you're trampling through the mulch you're running in you're running out you're gonna like
0: mess mess it it up up.
1: well and they said the windowsill itself was covered in dust and had no it was not disturbed at all either right yeah exactly but put a pin in that okay we'll come back to it i know i'm getting fired up about it i know so all these things i mean that kind of makes it sound like it is staged right Then they find a bloody sock. This is weird. About two houses away, so like 75 yards, police find a bloody athletic sock, which contains both the boys' blood. So it had blood from both the boys on it. It was in an alleyway, like kind of next to a drainage ditch and a garbage can. And as they're searching around, they happen to find this sock. And so that would seem like somebody's fleeing the house and they drop the sock on their way, right? But the prosecution is saying that that was Darlie's kind of like red herring sort of thing that she ran out and dropped that sock so that they would look outside the house and think it wasn't her. Mm. Then we've got the blood spatter. So Tom Bevel was the blood spatter expert, and he testified that the blood on Darlie's nightshirt was consistent with cast-off blood. So he's saying that the way that that would have gotten there would have been from her raising the knife over her head over and over to continue stabbing, and then it's going to cast off as she's pulling that knife up. The blood drops in the kitchen were circular which would occur if a person were standing still or walking slowly and running would cause more elliptical drops kind of like with a tail. So those are the higher velocity spatter rather than just standing over something and it just dropping down. The knife, she said it was you know, where it was dropped, they were unable to consistently recreate the print that the knife had left on the carpet in the living room. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much I put weight on that. There were footprints in front of the kitchen sink and the blood evidence showed that someone had stood at the sink for a significant amount of time, not moving. And it was Darley's blood. So what they think is that she stood over the sink and that's where she cut herself. And there was actually evidence of some blood having been wiped up too. So they said, first of all, they could see the blood, some blood around the sink. And then when they did the luminol test, there was a lot of blood there. So there was evidence that it had been staged or cleaned up. Um, there was no blood trail in the garage. So they're saying if this... Intruder stabs all these people. He's covered in blood too. He should be. And now he's going to run through the garage. Why is there no blood there? Um, And there's no blood anywhere outside. So including the fence and the gate surrounding the house. So there was a six foot fence. There was a gate. They're saying this person would have either had to go through the gate and close the gate back because the gate was closed. Or they would have had to jump this fence. And neither one of those had blood on them. So that didn't make any sense. And there wasn't any blood outside of the house. And we know that that sock got dropped. So how did the sock get dropped if nobody's blood, you know, is leaving a trail? Now remember, Darlie's throat has been slit. And she was losing a significant amount of blood. If she did, after her throat was cut take that sock and run it outside. There would have been blood every fucking where. Yeah. Like it would have been all over the place. So they're also saying that there was no blood on the couch. And that's where she said the attack on her started because remember she was laying on the couch. So they were saying there should have been blood there and there wasn't, but there's blood over the sink. And she says, I didn't go to the sink during this time. Like I don't remember going to the sink. So they're saying, that doesn't make sense. And she also said that she chased the intruder. And she said, remember, she said she heard glass breaking. And what the glass breaking was, it was a wine glass that had gotten knocked off a counter or whatever. The problem with that is that her, her blood, the glass from that wine glass was on top of the blood. So it was like her blood was already there and then the wine glass goes on top of it instead of her bleeding as she's running through. If she's saying that this wine glass fell and she's running behind it, then her blood should have been on top of it, they say. Not underneath, yeah. Right. Then we have the 911 call. So here's where we're going to start pulling pieces out of that. So remember she mentioned that she'd already touched the knife. And she asks, "Will will that hinder the ability of detectives to get fingerprints? Like, did I ruin the investigation?" It, it's also could be her way of explaining why you're going to find her fingerprints on this knife because now she's touched it. However, it is also a knife from her house, so you'd probably find her fingerprints on it anyway. Mm-hmm. But, um. She asks that question. Prosecutors and detectives feel like that's a big red flag. Why is she making... Why is she thinking at all about fingerprints right now? Like, your kids are bleeding probably to death. Well, and that's significant, yeah. Yeah. They said that she was upset and screaming, but she wasn't in shock. They said she was very alert. They said that she mentions her husband running down the stairs, but she doesn't ask about Drake. Like when Darren comes down the stairs, she doesn't ask where's Drake. Is he okay or anything like that? And they also say that it sounds like she's moving from room to room as she's talking on the phone, which I don't know. I don't know what big deal that is, but there you are. That's what they say. Then we have the silly string video. So they said that she's literally dancing on their graves. And this was at the, for their birthday at right. The grave site. Yeah. So now, and nobody knows like how the media found out about it, but they did. So the media actually taped the quote unquote silly string video. So, They're at the gravesite, and they're doing the birthday party. So they sing him happy birthday. They sing him happy birthday, and then they, like, do silly string all over, and they're, like, laughing. She's chewing gum. She's, like, smacking her gum. She's She's laughing. High spirits, yeah. she's Yeah, she seems to be in high spirits. Darley later said... He wanted to be seven. I did the only thing I knew to do to honor him and give him all his wishes because he wasn't here anymore. But how do you know what you're going to do when you lose two children? How do you know how you're going to act? So she tried to you know, defend herself there. Then we have Darley's wounds. So Dr. Alex Santos said that the wounds were superficial despite the proximity to the carotid artery. So what Dr. Santos said was that even though it was close to that artery, it was still very superficial that they weren't super deep. Now they did also ask, um, because she had some stab wounds and some cuts in other places. Um, she had some on her hands. She had them all over. And so they asked, could these be hesitation marks when somebody's you know going to hurt themselves? Um, sometimes it's like, in a suicide attempt or whatever, or um, if they're trying to make it look like they've been attacked, could these be hesitation marks? And the doctor said they could be, but these were much deeper than a typical hesitation mark. So while they may have been superficial in comparison to the very deep stab wounds of Damon and Devin, are still much Deeper slices than just a cut on skin, basically. So there's that. Now, when the prosecution talked about her wounds, they do have photos of her wounds. So when you look at the photos, it looks pretty fucking bad. Especially her neck. Especially her neck. But the, and she's got bruises everywhere. She's like swollen. And she's, yeah, she's bruised on her arm. On her hands, on her. Yes. her literally, like the tips of her fingers to her elbow are one big bruise on both sides. She's got that neck gash that she had to get sewn up. She has one on her forearm. Um, on the inside of her hand, like where she could have been grabbing. Yeah, on her fingers. Yeah. So she's got a lot of wounds and. The I forget her name now, but there was a woman who wrote a book on this case right after it happened. Um, She attended the trial. And when she wrote the book, she was like, oh, she fucking did it. Like she wrote the book as this is the story of the woman who murdered her kids. And then afterwards, she saw the photos of Darley's wounds and was like, holy shit, because she said that she sat through the trial and while they were there, they were never pointed out to the jury. Nobody ever stopped and said, and here's the photos of her wounds. It was kind of like they were they were just there in the background, but there were so many of them. They had like over a thousand photos of just all kinds of stuff from from the crime scene and from the case and whatever. So those kind of got lost in the background. She does not remember seeing these photos at all. And she was paying very close attention to everything that was being brought up because she was writing a book and using it to write a book. So she doesn't remember these photos at all and feels like they were not, at the very least, made important to the jury. So that is the state's version of the evidence. So right now, I mean, it's not looking too good, right? Like... It doesn't look great. Yeah, if you just have that to go on. If you just have that to go on. Plus, she has implants. I mean, I don't know if... Really, if we need to say anything else. Yeah, monster. So, now we have the defense's case. And... First of all, I mean... Darley has always proclaimed her innocence. And she's never wavered on that. Um, There's plenty of people on death row who have maintained their innocence. um, I think. But that is something that people take notice of. Like when you hear interviews with people on like the innocence project and stuff, because a lot of times people who have done something have a hard time keeping it to themselves or they will want to brag or whatever. And they'll slip up and tell somebody, um, or they'll write it down somewhere or whatever. But they're they did make a point to say she's always maintained her innocence. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. There's no tape of her police interview. Um, her family believes that they have it and they're just not releasing, releasing it. So they kind of want to know what's what's going on with that. Um, so now if we get back to those individual pieces of the evidence, so we've got the, the window screen. So remember, they said that the knife in the kitchen that was back in the knife block cut this screen. Well, no, it didn't. So what they said was that piece of fiberglass was on it, and it was consistent with the screen. And consistent with is the big word here. That's, that's the word that they used or the phrase that they used with hair evidence, right? This hair is consistent with the defendant's hair. That doesn't mean it's an exact match. That means that it's consistent with, it's similar to, It's not, it's not proven to be the exact same, but a jury doesn't know that. And I mean, I remember hearing evidence like that in like forensic files or something, you know, way back in the day. And I would be like, oh, it's consistent too. So that means it's an exact match. I thought that that's what that meant. So I can see why a jury would think that, but that's not what it means. So, I mean, people use fancy words in courtrooms and then, the jury is, or jurors are just run-of-the-mill, like, you know. Yeah, they don't do this for a living. So it's, if you if you don't know what you don't know even, you know, it's like you're just trusting what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. The blonde hair was assumed to be Darley's, but it was actually later determined to be one of the police officers at the scene. Okay, and this is after the trial, though, is the problem. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. After the trial, that hair is actually tested and is determined not to be Darley's. After the trial, so this is a new defense attorney. Mulder fucked it all up. Yeah, he did. But the new defense attorney... decides to have all this shit tested and when he does he finds that that piece of fiberglass on that bread knife is actually from one of the brushes that the police used to dust for like fingerprints mm-hmm. so it's not from the screen but that's and, not what the jury heard right and the the sad thing is for something like this the prosecution or the state all they had to do was just plant the seed out or you know plant the seed and let it grow like I mean, none of that looked good. Right. Was it true? No. But right. none of it looked good. Right. None of it looked good. And and that hair being consistent with Darley's hair, like, sure, it was a long, bleach, blonde hair. And that's what Darley had at the time. But was anybody told that so did police officers that went through the house? And why aren't they wearing hair nets or something? Like, come on. Well, that's another big part of the defense's you know, argument now is they didn't follow a proper protocol when collecting evidence. Like, Darley Sr. said that they were putting, (laughs) they were, like, putting multiple pieces of evidence in the same bag together. Like... Just didn't give a shit about it. Has anybody ever heard of cross-contamination? Right. It's just, yeah. And then, you know, they're talking about that, that windowsill. So, Darren actually did... He took a video. Yeah, he did a video like demonstration of going through that window. And he shows the window's fucking huge. And it's not a teeny little window. The mulch is like four or five windows down. There is no mulch under that window. It's just concrete. It's only concrete. You can very easily step in and out. Imagine. Imagine that this is a window over a patio and there's no mulch anywhere around it. That's what this is. <laughs> like. It's very low, so it's easy to like squat down and, and yeah. step into it. Yeah, out. all you have to do is, yeah, squat and then kind of like duck into it. And so when you do that, you don't disturb the windowsill at all. There's no need. It's not like you're grabbing onto the windowsill and pulling yourself in or out. You're literally just like walking through an opening. Yeah, he went, he was... No problems at all, like with ease. Yes, just in and out of it. Yeah, in and out, ducked in, ducked out. Didn't touch one thing. No, and there's no mulch right there. The mulch is like off the patio. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just don't understand it. There's no fucking mulch there. Like it's unbelievable. The, and the the state is like, oh no, there's mulch there. They still talk about the mulch. They still, even in that, they talk about it in the 2020 episode. Yeah, the mulch was disturbed. Yeah, the mulch, the mulch would have been disturbed. I'm like, do you guys not, are you confusing this with another house? Like, I'm taking crazy pills right now. Yeah, there's no fucking mulch under there. So the defense does address the blood under the glass in the kitchen, and they think that what they're saying is, we don't know when that wine glass was broken. It could have been broken in the chaos of like chasing- the police getting there. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You know, there was like a lot of people coming in and out of the house. They're securing the scene, all of these things. So her blood could have already been on the floor. She's running around down there and then the glass gets knocked over. So it could be for any number of reasons. Um, the problem though is that the defense never called a blood spatter expert to testify to anything like that. So and that's something that the jury stated like that was important to them. Yeah. Because they were like, well, the state brought in a lot of experts and the defense never brought in any experts, so it's like how are we supposed to believe the validity of it, you know? Yeah, because they they think, well, you don't have anybody to or you don't have any grounds to refute this evidence so because you didn't bring anybody to do that Mulder I guess thought he didn't need to well and to be honest just hearing about it and hearing all of the evidence you know 25 years later I don't see why they would need an expert because it seems so fucking obvious but it but it only seems obvious if you're pointing all these things out for sure yeah because I, I think, I mean, the way that they made it sound is when we went through the state's case earlier, that that's pretty much all they heard. It yes. wasn't like Mulder was like, well, you know, look at this picture here. There's no mulch underneath this right, or whatever. So I don't know that he was really correcting things. Now, again, he didn't have a ton of time to prepare. I don't know how long it takes to get a, an expert witness Lined up and whatever, but you think he could have done better than what he did. Yeah. Here's, here's a, a point where he really fucking took a swing and a miss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the silly string video. So the public was supportive of Darley until this video came out. And then we know that the prosecution made it a huge part of their case. And, It's such a huge part of the case that when the jury goes back to deliberate after the trial, they ask to watch this video nine times during deliberation. It obviously played a huge factor in their decision. But what Doug Mulder did not do was call any witnesses to talk about this. So it was actually Darlie's sister that bought the silly string. And she bought the silly string because she was like, Devin loved Silly String. Like, the boys both loved it. They played with it all the time, and he loved it, and that's what they wanted to do. Like, they wanted to honor him. It wasn't even Darlie that bought it, and Doug didn't call her sister as a witness. They wanted to, they didn't want to just be sad all the time. They wanted to be able to have good memories of the boys and like celebrate them too. And why couldn't they do that? Like, I just don't understand why that was such a crime, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, some people think it's really weird, but again, I think it is, it's a slippery slope to say what you would do. And I mean, we've actually like, I thought about our cousin, you know, when after she passed away, we did have a birthday party for her at the cemetery And, and it was a a light, you know, it was still sad and it was, it's obviously it was horrible and heartbreaking that she wasn't there and we couldn't hold her and, and be with her, but it was our way of celebrating her and, and that's the only way that we could visit her. So that's where it's going to happen. Like Mm -hmm. that did not in any way, shape or form mean that we were happy that she was dead. Mm -mm. Like I just... I don't understand. They can, they're not the only people that have ever done something like that at a graveside. But the biggest point here that Doug Mulder missed was that there is another video. So the silly string video was taken by the media. Mm -hmm. Before that though, the police actually bugged the gravesite And they took a secret video and this video showed the routiers holding a very, very solemn graveside memorial for the boys and they're crying and they have a a priest there doing like a service and it was very somber and it was, it was a long service. It was a very long memorial and Rather than showing that video to the jury, who all now say, or at least some of them say, that would have changed their verdict, or it would have changed their opinion of the Silly String video, which is obviously kind of was the nail in the coffin for her. Like, instead of showing them that video, Doug Mulder went with attacking the police for obtaining that video without a warrant. Okay. So he's trying to basically soil their reputation, and I guess what he was trying to go with was they're not collecting evidence in the way that they're supposed to, so what else are they lying about like, basically? In an ethically, yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't ever show them the video of the memorial. That's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. So <sighs> then when he questions these detectives about filming this, they plead, They all plead the fifth. They just say they're not going to do anything that's going to incriminate them. So they, they do. And what's interesting is the prosecution never, they never bring this up. You know, obviously they're not going to bring it up because it wasn't obtained in a way that is ethical. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to ruin the reputation or the credibility of their their of investigators their because oh, yeah. yeah because then that ruins the credibility of all of the evidence right but I just I just that was just such a bad move on Mulder's part like why would you not just fucking show them the video mm-hmm. why it doesn't make any sense the tube sock. So we said that the sock was found in an alleyway about 75 yards away. Both boys DNA was on it and it did have epithelial DNA of Darley's. So she had touched the sock at some point. It could have been because she carried it over there, I guess, or it could be because she does the laundry in the house and she fucking folded the sock. Like, you know, whatever. Um, they did not find any of Darley's blood or anyone else's blood. Like we said, outside the house. There was no blood on the patio, none of that stuff. If Darley had planted that sock, how did she avoid leaving all that blood because her throat was cut? The, the defense also says she wouldn't have had time. And and I do see that because it the, the time frame that she would have had, so that 911 call lasted five minutes and 44 seconds, I think. They said that from the time that Damon was stabbed, he would have only lived for nine minutes. That was like max amount of time he could have lived. So now we've already got five minutes and 44 seconds taken away. So then that only leaves a couple minutes. And when the, when the police got there, she was still on the phone with 911. So we're closing in here. She would have only had a couple minutes to stab the boys, cut her throat. So she would have like, Probably. She would have had to stab them. Take that sock. Go run. Plant it. Down the street. Come back. Cut the screen. Then come back in the house. Cut herself. Put the knife in the knife block and cut herself. And then call 911. So she's only got a couple minutes. Now, 75 yards sounds like a really fucking far jog to me. Like, if a football field is 100 yards... I'm like, well, holy shit, how long would it take you to, to run? That's 75 yards there, 75 yards back, though. Right. So now you've got more than a football field. But I looked it up extensively because I'm certainly not going to jog and try to find it out myself. <laughs> so I'm like, let's assume she's in horrible shape. How long would it take? And it's only like 30 seconds to jog that far. It's not long at all. Seriously? Yeah. I know. I was like... No, but, like, really, though, how long? Because it's – you guys, it's a football field. I'm not – I'm. this is a long way, but it was, like, 30 seconds. And then I asked Andrew, and he's like, I don't know, 30, 40 seconds? I'm like, are you fucking serious? So, I don't know. I feel like that would take me upwards of 20 minutes. I Like, I don't know. Well, the routine stops and breaks that you would need. Sure, sure. But also – if she had, if she would have done that, then if you factor in the fact that her fucking throat was slit, she wouldn't have made it that far. Like she was losing so much blood, so she would have had to do it. She would have had to run that out beforehand. But how would she have gotten the blood on them? You know. So you're still working on that tight timeline of nine right. minutes. What the def- what the state did. So the state talks about how Darley when she got on the stand to defend herself that her story kept changing and she would say that she didn't remember a lot of the details of that night, but she could remember details that if they brought something up to her and said, okay, this looks incriminating answer for this or whatever, then she'd be like, Oh, well I didn't remember it at the time, but I do remember now that like X, Y, Z is Y or whatever. And so they were like, well, Darlie's story changes when it's convenient. She, she has selective amnesia and, You know, just when it's convenient and she can explain away evidence. However, the state is working on the nine minute timeline based on the their expert witness says he could have only lived eight or nine minutes. But once they find that out, when we're talking about this tube sock in the alley, they say, well, that's only a guess, though. That person is just guessing eight or nine minutes could have been longer. We don't know. Because we we can't really know (laughs) how long. Right. So now they're changing the testimony of their expert witness. Which doesn't really make them credible. Right. Like that, that to me is them doing the same thing that they're saying that Darley is doing. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, because I'm sorry, but a prosecutor is not a blood spatter expert. A prosecutor is not... A medical expert. They've they've researched it. I'm sure they've talked to experts. You know all of those things, but they are not the expert in that area. So you can't tell me that just because a prosecutor says, "Well, this person could have lived longer," like I, I don't know. But also the experts are all paid, so who knows? But yeah. whatever. So the there were fingerprints on the coffee table that were determined not to belong to anyone known to be in the house so the prosecution says they belong to the boys and the defense wanted to know did they did they really belong to the boys so the um the state did not get fingerprints from the boys before they were buried. So the family actually paid to have them exhumed. And because they were buried together and they were holding hands and actually the vault flooded Ugh. since then. So they weren't able to get fingerprints at all. They were, they were not there. But once they did analysis of these fingerprints, they determined that they couldn't have been the boys because they were too big. They were adults fingerprints so we're still waiting on the testing of those because if they come back as not darley's not darren's not any of the police officers or paramedics at the scene then and you we- would hope that the police officers and paramedics had gloves on but exactly they should not be from the police officers and paramedics yes um and if they don't come back to any of them then our intruder theory is holding some weight Because Where the fuck do they come from? Yeah, and these are fingerprints in fresh blood. These are not random fingerprints on the house from the guy who came and checked your fucking meter eight months ago or whatever. You know, like, these are in the blood. Mm -hmm. So, it it would have had to have been placed that night. So, that's a very interesting aspect. Um, We talked about the mulch. There's no fucking mulch. So, moot point. Mm Mm-hmm. The responding officer said that when he told Darley to get towels and apply pressure to Damon's back, you know, he said she didn't do anything. She just kind of stood there and wasn't helping. Um, The defense says that's why there was, that's why it looked like stuff had been wiped up over the sink, and that's why there was her blood over the sink so much, because she was getting towels and applying them, to the boy's wounds. Darren said that he asked the officer, Aren't you trained in CPR? Like, can't you help us? And they said that he stood there like a deer in the headlights and didn't help. So we've kind of got a he said, she said there. The 911 tape. Let's go back to that. Mm-hmm. The 911 call was played to the jury in pieces. It was never played all the way through. So when the state plays the part where she says, I've already picked up the knife, all that stuff, you don't hear that just before that, the dispatcher says, there's a knife, don't touch anything. And she says, I've already touched it. Like, she says that in response. So she's not just being like, hey, just let you know, I've touched the knife. Yeah, so she says there was a knife laying in the utility room. And the dispatcher says, there's a knife, don't touch anything. And she says, well, I already touched it. So, you know, and they're also saying that, look, there's total chaos. Another thing about the 911 call, the the responding officer, the first one to arrive on the scene, said that when he got there, Darren was running out the front door. And as he's running out the front door, he's like, stop, you there, who are you? Because he's like, we got a call of an intruder, I don't know this man. And he says, I'm Darren and I'm going across the street because a nurse lives there and I'm trying to go get help. And so he says, no, you need to come back in the house or whatever. But remember, Darley is still on the phone with 911 and you can hear Darren in the background. So is he outside of the house or is he right there? Because if Darren's outside the house, then Darley's outside the house because you can hear him. They're next to each other, but it doesn't. Sound that way. So there's a few things on the 911 call that kind of maybe bring into question some of the officer's testimony, too. Yeah, there are some discrepancies. Yeah. And the defense also said that you can hear from that 911 call that she's absolutely traumatized and that she's just saying things. Like they said, you that's such a stressful time that there's no way to really hold her accountable for what she's saying. So that's kind of the route they went with it. Um, now let's get to Darley's wounds. So the state said that these wounds were self-inflicted, right? So not only was Darley's neck sliced open, um, and it was a pretty significant slice, but her necklace that she was wearing was embedded into that wound. They actually had to surgically remove that necklace. Now, if you're gonna slice your own neck, I would think that you're not gonna jam a necklace down into it. I, well, mean, that's I mean, when you pretty fucking that much hardcore. jewelry. Yeah, I mean, if somebody is coming up to you and you're struggling and they've got a knife, and it slices. I could see how maybe if that necklace gets caught on there, it's going to come through. Um, I don't, I just don't know how you could, I don't know how you could do that to yourself at all, but. No. no. To embed a necklace into it, that's pretty fucking hardcore. Yeah, it is. Um Oof. We talked about the severe bruising. Now, the bruising is a point of contention too because the bruises were not there initially. They showed up like four days after the attack. But that's how bruises are. Right. So when, the, when those photos were taken at the hospital, this is when her, she's already bandaged up, right? She's already got the like strips over where they've sewn up her lacerations. So those bruises are now present and they're very deep, dark bruises. And the state says they weren't there the night of the attack, which, like you said, bruises don't show up immediately. Um, But the nurses that night who took care of her also said they're like, we're moving her arms around, you know, we're like moving stuff around. She's not wincing. She's not saying, oh, that hurts. I'm sore anything like that. They said that she didn't look swollen or really red. And so they're saying if she's that beat up and that bruised, that it seems like she would have had some surface evidence of like her skin being red or something like that. Now with her not wincing and complaining of it hurting, I could see that because first of all, all the adrenaline, you've got adrenaline, they've got painkillers on board. Um, but I I know somebody who was was stabbed and almost died in an altercation with his son-in-law. And he said that he actually did not feel any pain. He did not know he was stabbed until they brought him to the hospital. Like It was not until after his emergency surgery that he even knew he'd been stabbed because he was just in this fight for his life and he just thought, he was fighting like he didn't know he didn't feel any pain whatsoever he said so it's definitely possible not to feel pain initially yeah exactly that's just that goes back to like well you this is how you should act this is how you should feel yeah everybody's so different yeah yeah and when you've got so many other things on your mind i mean you know you hear stories of moms like lifting cars when they are not supposed to be able to lift cars like there's things that happen like that are inexplainable yeah. I don't know. So I think that she could possibly not have realized how sore she was. But also like it you don't necessarily, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a time. I mean, I remember when I was in that wreck a long time ago, um I didn't hurt initially. I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then the next day, I was like, oh, my God, I feel like I've been run over. Like, I didn't hurt at all that day. I was shaken up because I'd been hit, you know, like, but I did not hurt at all. So, yeah, it can take a couple days. Well, and I don't know if when I got in that bad go-kart accident, like, I don't know if I, the only time that it really, like, sunk in how bad it was, was when the ambulance got there and they were like, oh, her nose is broken. And then I was like, I mean, how to come apart, you know, like, yeah, you did. And I don't even think that was, it wasn't because it hurt. It wasn't pain yet. No, I don't think you never complained of pain until we got back home from the hospital. Mm-hmm. It took, it takes a while. Yeah. Yeah. You were in shock for sure. Like you just didn't realize what was going on really. Yeah. You were just freaking out basically. Yeah. hmm yeah, that's true. The family was denied access to Darlie at the hospital because she was in such bad shape. And they said that the doctors and nurses warned them that they better have strong stomachs if they were going to see her. So they're saying these wounds are pretty bad. But again, the photos of those wounds were not shown to the jury. So it's it would be very easy to say, yeah, Darlie had a couple wounds, but they were self-inflicted. But when you see something like that you're like, whoa, that's that's a lot worse than you made it sound. Like definitely. So the state was, you know, kind of going with the whole they were in a ton of debt. So if they're talking about $24,000 worth of debt or 22 or whatever. Um and each of those boys was insured at $5,000. You're still in the in the red, right? So why wouldn't she have just killed Darren? He had an $850,000 life insurance policy. Yeah, exactly. Um, if she had postpartum depression, like you said, why would she not have killed all three kids? Why not just one? If, if that's what she was wanting to do, if she was wanting to kill her kids because of this, it, the defense is just saying that this isn't really making a lot of sense. The, state says that there were two weapons used, but they only found the one knife. So because some wounds were deep and some wounds were too narrow for the knife that they found in the house. And Devin's blood actually wasn't on the knife that they found. So they're thinking there's a second knife. So assistant defense attorney Richard, I think, I don't know how to say this, mosty, mosty. I don't know, M-O-S-T-Y, talked to, well, he had cross-examined Sergeant Thomas Dean Ward, and he was asking him about inaccurate information that he'd put in his report when he failed to correctly identify the person who picked up the sock from the alley behind the routier home. So we're kind of looking at not great record-keeping here. And Ward said he realized the next day after he made the report that he had used the wrong name. And he said he usually didn't bring his notes to court when he testified, but he did acknowledge that being able to reference those notes was important when it came to accurately describing events that occurred during an investigation. So, mosty, mosty, I don't know. Questioned Ward about the search that took place outside the Routier home, which resulted in the police finding that bloody sock in the alleyway, a number of houses down, and he said the sock was found shortly after 4.30 in the morning, and the officer testified that the search of the block long alley was thorough in in the sense that police searched boats and every trash can, so they're like, anything we came across, we searched it, right? So then he said he observed no blood other than what was seen on the sock. And at one point, lead detective Jimmy Patterson observed knives in one of the yards during a daytime search of the alleyway. So then the attorney says, did anyone collect those knives? And Ward said, no. So what is the point of going around and canvassing if you're going to be like, that looks suspicious, next? Like, when have you ever found knives in a yard also in a yard next to a house that just had a stabbing? A yeah, fatal stabbing. Yeah. And you're not going to pick the fucking knife up? Yeah. So, he said, Ward also admitted that nobody had even taken photographs of those knives. So, from the court transcript, which... I don't know if this is the revised transcript or not, but most I'm just going to say mosty, I yeah. don't know. I'm probably saying it wrong. Mosty. did you take photographs of the knives? Ward? No. Mosty. Nobody did. Ward. I don't think there was photographs taken. Mosty. Okay. And the knives weren't even of such interest to you that you noted them in your handwritten notes or Ward. That's correct. Mosty. Are your report or anything? Ward? There was no question in my mind those knives were not associated with this crime. Mostly, just a non-event ward, a non-event. It must be nice to be able to just look at something and just know that, (laughs) to be that good of an investigator or that good of a police officer. Yeah, and, and to know that these had, yeah, absolutely nothing to do with the event that just happened where three people were stabbed, And cut with at least one knife. But they couldn't find the second knife. And now they found knives in a yard. Basically bordering where this happened. But it's a non-event because it most certainly has nothing to do with it. But we didn't photograph it or take it in. Like, why not just take it in? Yeah, if you're going to be investigating and canvassing the entire area and doing it thoroughly, I would think that you would bring in leaves and all kinds of shit. You know what I mean? Like just anything. Whatever you can. Yeah. Crime scene video from this crime scene investigation is actually used as training in other precincts on basically how to not do a crime scene. Oh, wow. Like it's that bad when Darley took the stand in her own defense, um, her attorneys did tell her they didn't think she should do it, but she said, you know what? They should hear from me. Like I should tell my story kind of thing. And it backfired. She, she didn't make for a good witness. Um, she was defensive when she was cross examined, which the jury just thought looked bad. Um, she, they said she had a flat affect when she talked about the night. Um, you know, that could be because she was really nervous or whatever, but for whatever reason, she didn't show much emotion. And the jury did not like that. It just didn't go over well with them. And they said that she didn't look at them ever. She just kind of looked straight ahead. She didn't pay attention to them. I'm pretty sure she couldn't win for losing, though, with the jury, though. You know, like- Oh, absolutely not. So it just there's a reason that a lot of defendants don't take the stand. And there's a reason that a lot of attorneys advise against it. And it is hard, you know, during a trial like that, you're not supposed to, um, act out or whatever. You're not supposed to get defensive and stuff like that. And, you're not really supposed to show that like any of that is bothering you. You know, like we talked about at the Casey Anthony trial that George had to sit there and listen to testimony that was not true by his daughter saying that he had molested her and raped her for however long. Mm -hmm. And he had to act like that was not bothering him at all. So you, you have to kind of be shut down emotionally and when she was cross-examined she's getting really defensive and what that that all that does to the jury is makes her look like she's an angry person who's prone to outbursts it doesn't look good so her defense attorney's asked her not to do it she thought that she needed to and it just it didn't go well for her at all the jury deliberated for 7 hours and like we said they watched that silly string video 9 times And one of the jurors said that was the icing on the cake. Um, She was found guilty, obviously. Um, She was then sentenced to death by lethal injection. After the trial, court reporter Sandra Halsey, so she's the person, she's the hell person, who did the court transcripts, right? She fucked it all up. (laughs) Like bad. So she kept asking for extensions on filing the transcripts and they're like, "Okay, okay, okay. Like take your time, girl." And then they were like, "Listen, girl, we really need those now." And she was like, "They're not ready." And they were like, "You're going to have to get them ready." And this is your job. Yeah, she finally turned them in like way late, like years later. And she told the Dallas morning news that she nearly had a nervous breakdown trying to prepare this transcript, which I'm not really sure why it was so difficult for her or whatever. But, um, once it was turned in, they start going over it and it's, it's very incorrect. There's like a lot of discrepancies and an appellate attorney is going to, everybody relies on those records, right? It's supposed to be a verbatim record of the court proceeding. You're going to rely 100% on that to know what people's testimony was. How can you prove that somebody perjured themselves if you don't have their accurate testimony? How can you prove that, one thing was actually presented or not. Like, you can't present an appellate argument without the actual facts of the case there or like the actual record of the proceedings. So, once they started going over this, they found discrepancies. And all in all, they found over 30,000 errors in this transcript. Oh my God. Which is like a fuck ton. Damn near every part of it. Right. So, and it was like stuff that was left out, stuff that was just incorrect, or instead of making sure that she got something for the record, it, she would just say inaudible speech and and leave stuff out. So, it's like, okay, but we need to know what that inaudible speech was. So, on those grounds alone, she should have been able to get a new trial, because having that many errors there's something going on there and sandra halsey was actually decertified as a court reporter like she can't do it anymore that's how bad it was and they actually changed the way that court reporting is done because of her because of this but when that was put in front of the appeals court she was denied a new trial on those grounds they said no that's not enough and what the the state actually did was they were like listen we this fucked up okay like your transcript all wrong not good however we will take the death penalty off the table for you and we'll just give you life if you promise to never appeal it and she was like No. Yeah, exactly. What do you mean I can never appeal? Why would I do that? Like, no. So she turned that down. And um, in 2003, the Court of Criminal Appeals upheld her conviction. In 2008, she was granted the right to new DNA test. The state, of course, opposed this, but it was granted. And in 2011, Darren filed for divorce. He said that he needed to move on, you know, whatever. Um, he stayed with her for a long time. He did. In 2014, a judge granted the request from the defense for further DNA tests to be performed on that bloody fingerprint found in the house, the bloody sock, and Darlie's nightshirt. Um, and what they said was that they these fingerprints deserve to be tested with the most like modern technology available. Like, let's see what we can do with it now. As of June 2018, Darlie was still one of six women on death row in Texas. She's got one more shot and an appeal. So what they want to do is use the new DNA testing. And we're still waiting on the results from that. So they had to basically wait their turn. Some of the DNA that they want to test from the case has never been tested. It was collected, but never tested. So they want to do the fingerprint. They want to do some other things. Another thing that they want to use as grounds for a new trial is the fact that the state never followed up on other leads, right? It was like always Darlie, never anybody else. And they did actually have a witness come forward after that first trial saying that she saw two men driving a, a black sedan away from where the crime scene would have been that night. And there were also reports by other neighbors that they had seen a suspicious-looking black car driving around the neighborhood like the week or so before the murder and that even that car had stopped like in front of the Routier house before. So there were other people saying this is suspicious. Um, but nobody followed up on it. And Darren said he spent weeks looking for this car, like driving around, trying to see if he could find it or anything like that. Um, he never found it, but there were people that definitely saw, and if the police had even took taken the intruder theory seriously, they would have asked Lee Canvas and asked people, did you see anything suspicious? And he would have heard, they would have heard that, I'm sure. Right. And like, not even the intruder theory, seriously, if they had just done an investigation, because an investigation means you're going to ask questions, and maybe it leads you to an intruder theory. Like, yeah, so it's, it's crazy. The other thing that they would have that would have come to their attention would have been Darren's suspicious behavior. So they believe Darren 100% from the get go, that he was upstairs, he came downstairs, had nothing to do with it, whatever. And I think he was upstairs when it happened and he came downstairs. But after the first trial, um, the family actually reached out to this like millionaire in around there. And this guy had actually paid with his own money to hire private investigators to help somebody else who he thought had been wrongfully convicted. So they heard about that, reached out to him. He hired a private investigator and that private investigator starts poking around, asking questions. And lo and behold, what does he find? But that Darren, a couple months before the murder had been asking around for people to burglarize his house. So stage a burglary, basically load a U-Haul up with a bunch of items from the house go and hide them somewhere, and then once he got an insurance payment, bring them back. What? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then he also... So at first, he denied that, said it wasn't true. But we know it's true because he later admitted to it and signed an affidavit admitting to it. And then he also admitted to doing the same thing with his Jaguar. So he had hired somebody to steal that. Oh, and my he God. And he got insurance payout for that too or wreck it or something whatever but he had already committed the fraud with the car and so now he thought well I'll do it with a burglary too now could he have hired somebody to do the bur- burglary now the the night of the murder their cars were not in the driveway Darren was having a problem with Jaguar it was in the shop I think and Darley's car was in the garage maybe I'm I'm not really sure but their cars weren't in the driveway and they were not like Darley and the boys were not supposed to sleep downstairs. They weren't supposed to have slept downstairs. So could it have been that this person comes in to commit the burglary, thinks nobody's going to be home, freaks out, stabs people. I don't know. Could it have been that Darren actually hired, somebody to kill Darley, her life insurance was $250,000. I mean, that's a significant amount of money. That would have made a lot more sense than to kill those little boys. So maybe again, the boys weren't supposed to have been sleeping downstairs, but Darley actually had been sleeping downstairs for a couple weeks for, I'm not really, I, I cannot remember why. And I can't find it in my notes. I apologize, but I know that she said that somewhere. So she had been sleeping downstairs. Maybe like her shoulder or something was hurting. I can't remember, but she had been sleeping downstairs anyway. And that night, the boys just happened to want to sleep downstairs. And maybe this guy who was supposed to come in and kill Darley thinks he's going to be able to kill Darley and the boys wake up. And now he's got to get rid of the other witnesses or he gets distracted from his target Darley with the boys it it goes awry yeah i don't know but i do not understand why darren was never looked into especially knowing that and the fact that the police didn't even fucking know about that and he's signed an affidavit saying that like that doesn't make any sense Mm-mm. Why they wouldn't... They should have known that information. That should not have been information that came out after that trial. Right. And it should have been brought up by the defense. Like, the defense never, never asserted that it could have been anybody else. They also didn't bring up anybody else. And I wonder, too, because Doug Mulder... So, there was a gag order on the case right after it happened... And Darren was going on the news to defend Darley, basically, and he wasn't supposed to be doing that. So he was going to get in some trouble for violating that gag order. And Doug Mulder represented him in the gag order case. So now you've got a conflict of interest because Darren should have been raised as a suspect, And he wasn't. And is that because her attorney was also representing him? So he's not giving her effective assistance of counsel. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are all things that, like, could have had an effect or... Yeah, or made made people, you know, kind of change their thought or at least raised reasonable doubt. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. When Darren was asked if he had signed that affidavit or if he realized that it could be looked at that he was just saying that stuff to get Darley a new trial because he's like you know now he says he didn't do any of that stuff that he never tried to hire anybody that it was just he was trying to help her he said he wanted to do what he could for Darley but he said I don't want to end up with some kind of bullshit charges brought against me either I don't want to help her at the expense of my life like, well, oh, that's what a great husband. I know it's an interesting thing for a husband to say. And he said that at the time that he was still married to her. So I don't know. That was that was weird. Mm-hmm. Um in May of 2019, the Innocence Project came out as being actively working on the case, and they had recently been successful in getting prints run through the federal database in another case. So They're really trying to do that in this case, kind of get some of that testing pushed forward. And they said in that case, they'd spent 20 years fighting and it took eight hours to do the work. And then this person was exonerated. So, you know, they're saying this doesn't take that long. We can get it done. So they're trying to get stuff pushed forward. As of right now, Darley is still on death row. And like we said, she's only got one shot left at Freedom. If her last appeal fails, she'll be executed. So what do you think? Do you think that Darley murdered her children and is right where she needs to be? Or do you think that detectives had tunnel vision and convicted an innocent woman of murder? Or actually, Tori, I don't know where you are, but I'm kind of, I'm a little bit in the middle. Like I can't, I can't 100% decide one way or the other whether she did it or not. But as far as the law goes, I don't think that she should have been convicted. Right, I agree. I don't think that they did everything that they could have done to give her a fair trial. And I don't think that they looked at any other suspects. Right. I think that they just decided it was her from the beginning and that was where they left it. And I think that they fucked it up. Yeah, and I think there's enough reasonable doubt to have either... I mean, maybe have gotten a not guilty verdict, but at the very least, like a mistrial or a new trial. Like I right, just... a fair trial. Yeah, I just, I don't see, I really don't see how that resulted in a conviction. And this is a death penalty trial. Like that is not something to be taken lightly. No. You cannot, If if one innocent person is executed that's too many people absolutely like you have to do everything that you can to be sure that this is this person is absolutely 100 percent guilty like you need to have definitive evidence and just for me hearing that juror this many years later say what really stood out to me was the way that she dressed and the fact that she spent money on herself and what kind of mother does that doesn't make her a murderer, but it brings suspicion. You don't remember any of the physical evidence. Right. That tells me that we missed the point here. Absolutely. And I don't want to live in a world where you get convicted of having tip top boobies. Exactly. So let us know what you think. You can join our Facebook group if you're not already in there. um, Or like let us know on Instagram or whatever. But we'd like to know what you guys think. Yeah. Love so it. It's an interesting case. It is interesting. Yeah. For sure. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Yep. That's the that's the case of Darlie Routier. We'll catch you next time for a new episode. Bye. Bye. Get in on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Killer Queens Podcast and join our Facebook discussion group at Killer Queens Podcast where we discuss cases covered on the show and all things 90s. If you want to submit a case to be covered on the show, visit www.killerqueenspodcast.com slash case submission and complete the form. If we cover the case, we'll even give you a shout out on the show. Killer Queens is researched, mixed, and mastered by our own damn selves. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. And our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Lie <laughs>